0: good morning church Merry Christmas to you so glad it's this season my favorite time of the year and uh, good to be with you if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 that's where we're going to be and uh, we're going to be in uh, starting in verse 68 we are in a, a Christmas series where we are appropriately looking at songs how many of you love Christmas songs right um, when do you start listening to Christmas songs? For me, it's when the first cold front blows through and you actually have to turn the heater on your car on in the morning, you know, what that day that day when the heater smells weird and all that? that? That day is when I turn on the Christmas carols, and that's usually October. Uh, yes, pre-Thanksgiving and even pre-Halloween, all right? So um, I start way out, and of course, um, because I'm a good Christian, my go-to is Mariah Carey, Right uh love that Uh, you know it was my go-to for a long time and and then there's some others that have come out since and i've kind of found some new favorites but um we're looking at songs and and you think about luke the gospel writer of luke and you have to realize that luke is um a very detailed historian he likes details he likes facts and he likes to make sure that things are written in an orderly account and he's got it accurate this is his approach if you read it in the greek you'll see that he's very much like a historian uh, and, does, and and writes very much like that. Um, and so him writing in this text, you even right at, at the very beginning of Luke, you find that his whole motive for writing Luke was for another person and actually detailing the accounts that took place. And what you see him doing is making sure that he's got all these orders, all of the order of events taking place uh, down accurately for other people to see that this is actual history. These are real people. It actually happened in a place and a time in history. And he is collecting these events for people to see. And not just to see, but to say, that happened. That really happened. These things happened. And in that mindset of Luke actually writing these things down, what what he chose to put in, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, what he chose in the last part of verse, uh, chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 is in 64 verses, he was led to include four different songs. Now, if you look at the rest of the scripture, look at the rest of this gospel. There's like no songs. There's four in a very close proximity, and all of it is surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who is to come. Four songs, and, and so that's what we're in. We're in the series where we're looking at those four songs that Luke, determined by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, needed to be in there, and it had a high concentration right near the birth of Jesus Christ. So last week, we looked at the Magnificat, Mary's song. This week, we're looking at the Benedictus, Zechariah's prophecy. Next week, we'll be looking at the angelic hosts, their proclamation to the shepherds. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll be looking at the song of Simeon. All four of those are right in 60 verses right here in this time. And what are we to take from that? Why would the Spirit lead Luke to put those four songs in such a concentrated effort in the time of the birth of Christ? Well, here's what we get from that. That the Lord determines that, here's the picture, that Christ comes to earth and earth as a result re- responds in rejoicing, celebration, celebration. Um, in proclamation in prophecies but what you could also see is that when christ comes the expression of art comes erupting out of the hearts of people um what what does it take to write a song well good songs are written from a some type of powerful experience you know adele i heard her once say uh, you know she could she could sing the phone book right and it's all awesome um but she was singing for years and never had the, the fame that she got after she wrote one song. And it was Someone Like You, the, na- the title of the song. Y'all young people, help me out. Someone Like You, is that the name of the song? Anyway, she wrote that song, but it, and it went worldwide. All of a sudden, just worldwide fame for her. It just put her on the scene in massive ways that I hadn't have had before. Well, she, she talks about that song, and she says that song came from a, a dude <laughs> Who absolutely shattered her heart and she was in the deep despair of of just being heartbroken put that into song and then the whole world started coming into that song with her and it just uh, put her in worldwide fame well that's why you write a song that that's the whole purpose of a song is so others to jump into that song with you feel what you feel to see what you see and to express it themselves and to join you in it right and so that's what we're doing this christmas is we're looking at the songs of people who've had some very powerful experiences very powerful experiences being filled with the holy spirit seeing things that they couldn't see with the natural eye seeing things with with god's perspective and on the events that were taking place right under their noses right then and they were saying things that they could not have said because they would have never seen it happen even Uh, they were prophesying things and saying things in these songs that were supernatural it was god given and so what we want to do is look at this song but not just look at it and study at it and put doctrinal um, structures from it that's not why a song is given not even in the text of scripture a song is given for you and I to do what we do at a concert right um, and that's to when that song comes on and it's our song and and what do we do we raise our lighters well back when we had lighters now you raise smartphone flashlight right uh and and you join in to that song you sit in the stadium and they play that song dun, dun, dun. good times never f- okay i'm not going to sing it all <laughs> and you're like i'm gonna put my lighter up right and i'm gonna join in and i'm gonna glory in it and i'm gonna i'm not gonna be part of it uh that is why a song is given that's why these songs are given and so i i ask you up front that this christmas season don't be a listener be a singer Be a seer of what these people saw, and let your heart see it and delight in it, but then don't just delight it, sing it, join in, raise your lighter, your smartphone, whatever, and join in the song, and this morning, particularly, the song of Zechariah. It's called the Benedictus, it's the Latin word for blessed, blessed. it's the very first word of, I, of, of Zechariah's song here. Zechariah was a priest who served in the temple, and he drew straws one day to do something that was like winning the lottery for a priest, and that is to offer incense in the daily offering of incense. And he was able uh, to do that. A huge deal, he was going to go into the holy place and the holy of holies um, and offering incense before the Lord, which is basically a, a symbol of offering uh, a priestly prayer. And he would carry the nation of Israel on him, as he does this now this is like 18,000 priests so it could be that you don't ever get to serve in this way because you just didn't draw the right the right straw so to speak Um, and so you may never get this opportunity but for him to win the opportunity uh, actually is a huge deal for him family comes around everybody shows up because all of them know Zachariah he gets the opportunity he's going in uh, all of those sorts of thing and so he would go in and priestly speaking it was an offering of atonement a prayer of atonement, and he would be asking the Lord to forgive the sins of Israel in this very move. Now, um, while in the Holy of Holies, uh, where no one else could go, and he's offering prayer, he sees a man standing by the altar, altar of incense, and he it says he was terrified. Now, why was he terrified? Well, it's something all the priests feared, because they know there are many times when priests go in and they don't come out in fact they had a had a little practice of tying a rope to the leg of the priest Um, because if he goes in there and let's just say he has a heart attack no one else is going in there he's there like because no one else is going in there because you're not supposed to you can't go in there so how do you get a guy out Um, well you tie a rope to their leg and if they go in and they don't come out you got a way to get them out Uh, this is exactly what they thought so priests knew That this is not only just a great privilege, this is also a fearful um, and reverent move, and they want to do it the right way. This is something that that is very important to them. So Luke says that Zechariah was terrified, but the angel quickly says, Do not be afraid. This is good news. I don't don't come to to take you out. I take take you bring your good news for you. And he says to Zechariah, Your prayer has been heard. So here he is, he's there, he's praying. before the nation of Israel, a priestly prayer. And he says, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Well, we don't know exactly, but we know that it has to be at least one of these two or both of these things. The first thing is the actual prayer he's praying as a priest in that moment. Um, The prayer of atonement for Israel. And your prayer has been heard. Okay, the other one, the other one that he, they could have been prayed because he referred to it right after is the fact that Zechariah, Uh, had a wife Elizabeth they're both very advanced in years I'm going to start using that one I'm not going to say old anymore you are very advanced in years they say he's advanced in years and she's well advanced beyond the years of being able to have children so you can imagine at one point in their life as Morton it was to a Jew that they prayed many many prayers for a child and never were those prayers answered she never had a child they called her barren and so so, for, so she is beyond the age of being able to have kids. They think that's over. He's probably not praying that prayer anymore. It's long gone. It's over. Um, and so, but the angel says, I've heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will be, uh, be with child. Um, and so he immediately comes behind that. So it could be the prayer that they've had for so many years um, that they probably even stopped praying. Uh, is that a word for somebody this morning you pro- you stopped praying years ago for something that you just wanted and you felt like God said no and here he comes um, that he answers a prayer later on um, well in that very moment uh, Zechariah said here's my wife's going to be with child and then he says how is this going to happen because both of us are way too old basically and the angel, you know, I think the angel kind of went like, you know, your your wife is going to be pregnant with child. And he looks there and he goes, how's that going to be? I'm too old. And he goes, like that, this is in my mind, this is what the angel does. And, um, and almost like to say, have you even read the Bible? Like. You should know the Bible. You're a priest. like, And you know, how many times does this happen where a barren woman gives birth? Like, <laughs> How many times does God do this in the Old Testament? Are you like, and now you're asking me. And plus, like, I'm divine. I'm here on divine appointment. No one else is supposed to be in it. You know that I'm sent from God, and I'm even revealing myself supernaturally to you. And you're going to say, but this doesn't align with natural causes, you know? Uh, and, and the angels just... Doesn't say anything. He just says, "You know what? You're not going to be able to say anything," Um, because so he he makes him mute. And and in some ways, it it could also mean that he was also deaf and mute for probably nine months to a year. Uh, And so, until the fulfillment of what I have said to you comes past, you will not be able to speak. Um, It might have also been that he couldn't hear, and the reason why is because when they're making the name choice the child is born and they have eight days to pick a name before they go to circumcision with a boy and so the eight days they're picking a name and as they're picking a name the family goes are you going to name them after the father and they and elizabeth says no we're going to name him john and they were like whoa like what because that would be a very disrespectful thing to the father in those days that you would name him after the father or an ancestor of the father Um, and that's the typical line that you would pick Um, and Elizabeth says, not the father, we're going to name him John, something totally uh, random. Um, and then, and so they have a problem with this because they, they want to make sure that he's good with this because it's quite, um, offensive to him. So they go to him and it says that they signed, they did signs to him to see, well, it could be that he also could not hear. Um, but at a minimum, we know that he couldn't speak and he couldn't speak for nine months to a year. Would, how hard would that be for you? Some of you would be like, I would love it. And others, you go, I would die. You know, um, all of us could react to that differently. But uh, nine months to a year that he has been mute and not been able to speak. The, the child is born. They ask what name. And Zechariah writes on the tablet. That, see, they even developed a little system a way for him to communicate because it's been nine months to a year. And, he, and he, on that system, he writes, his name shall be John and as soon as he said john his lips were opened now nine months to a year relief comes that i can actually talk now that that's not this is the day when we have digital technology you can type stuff you can get find a way around it then it was not not as easy (laughs) sign language wasn't existing all of these kinds of things you're struggling and here he is he finally can talk and it says that in that moment he was filled with the holy spirit and this is what he uttered. He uttered a song. It is poetic. It is rhythmic. It is, um, it, it is uh, prophetic as well. Um, looking down corridors of time and looking at something great and glorious. And, we, and he wrote it, and Luke included it in his gospel so that you and I would join in this song with him and see what he sees, feel what he felt, glory in what he gloried in and then we would experience Christmas, okay? So that's what it is. Um, But we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 68, but before I do, let me me pray and ask the Lord to unpack this for us. Father, we just commit this time to you, and, oh, Lord, we just pray. This wouldn't just be words on a page or even a human being just standing on a stage talking. But, Lord, uh, divine interactions would be taking place, and, Lord, we want to meet with you. And we know that you often speak in a whisper, and we can miss it. And we pray that through the text this morning, we wouldn't miss it, that you would speak very clearly to each of us, Lord. And you can take this text anywhere you like, Holy Spirit, in our lives and um, help us to see things that we that you want to put your finger on in our lives and just uh, point out um, and, and all kinds of things you might want to do through this. So we just yield to you and we ask that you to speak very clearly to us and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So verse 68, Zechariah erupts in a song out of this experience, things that he sees. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He says God has visited and redeemed his people. And um, the word visited uh, could be unpacked a little more. Um, It's from the root Greek word. Episcopos, episcopos. That's where we get the word episcopal, and that just means epi over scopos to view, to see, overseer. Uh, you can see it that way. Um, but this is a different form; it has another ending on it. That, that actually means this: uh, it means for God to look from on high to a hurting world and come to them to do something about it. It's the same thing that you and I would do. If somewhere in the hospital that was close to us and they ended up in the hospital and you and I would hear of their hurt. We would hear of their pain and we would go to them. Right. And comfort and help and whatever we could do, it offered to support. And, and Zechariah, I mean, uh, Luke is actually really intent. And Zechariah is showing that this is this is not a God who has stayed al- aloft in heaven and, and just sent his text messages, if you will. Um, It's it's like someone saying, "Hey, I know you're you're hurting. Let me know if you need anything." You know that text that's so so often sent, Um, and the person's never going to tell you if they need something. Uh, We as believers in love for one another, if you err, let me just slide this in, right? If you err and someone's hurting around you, someone you know is hurting, go. You're like, well, maybe they don't want people right now. Go just go and be there err on the side of being present in their midst because we have a God who didn't just say hey let me know if you need anything we have a God who came and visited us and this is the point of this text blessed be God of Israel for he has visited us he has come to us in person like uh, he's come here with us in person um And not only that, but to redeem them, to do something about it. In the person of Christ, God is visiting and redeeming his people. In verse 69, it says, And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, in the house of his servant David, you know that the Messiah always has been promised to come from the line of David. And so they, that's always been looked for, and that's, and here he is, right? The Messiah is coming, right as he said, from the line of David, he is fulfilling that prophecy. But then he uses this, this, this phrase, horn of salvation, horn of salvation. Now, for a Hebrew, horn meant strength. Uh, think about the strength of an ox, a very agriculture. The whole Bible is written in an agricultural world. So you have to understand agriculture if you're, many times if you're going to understand agriculture. What what the Bible is talking about, but a horn meant strength, and I hesitate greatly to use this illustration. But yes, okay, I'll go with it. It's like the Longhorn, okay, Um, Bevo, right? You know, we have a common saying: as you mess with the bull, you get the get the horns, right? Yeah. Well, what's the most fearsome thing about that animal? Well. It's not that it's really big and heavy. It may step on you or something. You don't want that. You don't want. But the most fearsome thing about that animal, if you saw off the horns, it's like, you know, it's not as intimidating. But when it has horns, you'll feel that. When it's got horns, then you're like, you stand back just a little bit, right? Because he can rip you to shreds with those horns. The horn of that animal is the strength. And many times throughout the Old Testament, you hear people say, "My horn," uh, and and God has raised up a horn Uh, of battle. uh, Well, it's that basically the strength of God is fighting for me. The strength of God is doing something for me. And it says that he raised up a horn of salvation, that the strength of God is moving and it's almost unstoppable and that it is so strong you can't, he is doing it and it's not going to be stopped. This is the idea. He has raised up a horn of salvation For his people. Verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So a lot is in that text. But basically he's saying. Everything that was promised of old is being fulfilled. From Abraham on, all the promises are being fulfilled in this one who is coming, the horn of salvation. And so God promised this to our forefathers. Now, God promised to the nation of Israel that they would worship him in freedom. That they would be free from Pharaoh. That Pharaoh—that they would be free from Pharaoh to worship totally in their own nation. And all of those things Partly came true, but then they would have enemies, and they're never free to their enemies. God said, You'll be free from your enemies. There will be a day when that will be fulfilled. And God is doing that even right now, and He's starting the whole thing through the Messiah of God. When you're thinking about prophecy, um, I know you've probably heard me say this before, but I keep saying it again and again because sometimes it it really starts about the seventh time I say it, you start kind of going, Oh, that makes sense. You know, sometimes that does. But. When a prophet of Old Testament was looking forward to the Messiah, many of them wrote, in a sense, where all the things about the Messiah and all the things that pertain to the Messiah are all one big thing. It's uh, I heard someone say like it's um, like you're driving up to Colorado and you're, you see the big mountain ranges out from the distance from the end of the prairie. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And then you look at, oh, it's just one mountain range, almost like it's 2D. It's just one big, thin, it's like one line of mountains. Um, and only when you get closer to it and in it, Do you realize, oh, well, no, this is a there's a long distance between some of these peaks, like some of them are an hour away from others. And when you get into it, you realize that this is a long, a long thing. That's a great way to describe the way the prophets saw the whole thing of the Messiah. They saw it coming from a distance and they see him and then they see his rule and his reign and they see all of his effects and they see it all as one big thing. What Jesus did is he gave some. 3d imagery to that in his day he was saying all right it's going to have a starting point and it's going to have a finishing point and there's going to be some processes in between and this is going to happen and that's going to happen but from there it looks like all one thing but there's actually a long distance that old old prophets couldn't see um, in from their perspective well that's what's happening here and Zechariah is tying into all of these prophecies saying it's all about to happen right here he's here he's going to rule and he's going to reign on the earth and he is going to lead in righteousness and judge and justice and so this is the way that Zechariah would have thought about it and he's saying it's all being fulfilled right now and then in verse 76 he says and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins his son john the baptist would prepare the way for the Lord. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to get this quick to you. John the Baptist would prepare the way for the Lord. What does that mean exactly? Well, Malachi says he would prepare a people for the Lord. He came to preach repentance. Um, Gentiles were the only ones that were baptized. You don't baptize a Jew. A Jew is circumcised. That circumcision is a sign of their covenant. So you would baptize Gentiles. But John came preaching repentance of sin and baptism and a, and, a, and a repentance in baptism meaning symbolizing the washing of sin get yourselves ready repent of your sins and 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 get yourselves ready for the lord in the sense this is what he was doing he was baptizing people as an outward symbol of all of this people being prepared for the lord now when jesus showed up on the scene and he said "There is the son of god uh, the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and, he, and everybody started following jesus at that point so people were following john John was baptizing people, and they all started following Jesus at that point. Now, here's the interesting thing, is there's several times in the New Testament, let me give you one reference here, and this is all important stuff. Luke 7, actually a few chapters later, it actually says that um, sinners saw God as just, but the tax collectors gave up or or sacrificed their own purposes, God's purposes for their lives. Why? Because they were not baptized by John. They didn't humble themselves to be baptized by John. They were relying on their circumcision. And he was saying, no, you must be baptized. So then what we see later is Jesus actually say to the Pharisees, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the sinners are coming into the kingdom ahead of you, Pharisee. And, he says, and, the, and so why? Why? And he says, because they received the baptism of John and you have not. What do we do with that? John was preaching the law. John was preaching our sins against the law, our sins against God. And people heard that and they all responded. Now, many of the people that were following Jesus in Jesus' day in his ministry, and he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, those people were actually baptized by John. They heard I could be forgiven and they got in the the water and and they followed. But they were the people prepared for the Lord. And when the Lord came along, here they come. They were prepared for him. Why? A humble heart. Let me say this. Religion says this, that good people get God and bad people get judgment. That's religion. That's not the gospel. The gospel says proud people get judgment. Humble people, repentant people get God. I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't care how devoted you think you are. Proud people get hell. Humble people get heaven. That's the gospel. Because, frankly, Jesus would be clear, all of us are dirty, rotten sinners. At the core of our heart, we know it, and you know it. And you really need God's mercy. You need his grace. You need to be washed. And it's really only those who receive it. Why does a Pharisee not get baptized? Why does he not repent of his sin? Because he doesn't think he has to. He doesn't think he's a sinner. Well, that is what is the worst thing that can happen to a human being. It's that kind of religious pride. That is the worst thing that can happen. Not sin. And sin's not even your barrier. Did y'all know that? Sin is not your barrier between you and God. God dealt with that on the cross. Sin is no longer the, the issue as much as will you receive him? Will you humble yourself? Verse 78, I'll move on. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. The sunrise shall visit us. This is a, a direct fulfillment of the prophecy in Malachi uh, chapter 4, verse 2. And it says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Not the sun, S O N, S U N. The same way the sun rises. You ever been out there in the dark hunting, and you've watched the sun rise? You see a little glow start, right? And then it gets a little brighter and brighter, and then you see some dark thing with big horns at the end of the field, and then you're wondering why isn't it moving though? That's because it's a stump with twigs. It's not a buck, right? And you just can't see it yet, right? Y'all, you know what I'm talking. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all probably shot a stump at one point in your life. <laughs> I know. So, uh, but but the light. Continues to kind of get brighter and brighter and brighter. If you've ever experienced that, what Zechariah is saying is, is that the Messiah will come and they will begin a sunrise of righteousness that will spread the earth. And that is exactly what has taken place. Who is he talking about? The sunrise of righteousness. It's talking about the double uh, ministry of the Messiah of God and the Holy Spirit. Jesus would come and purchase the atoning, necessary atoning work. Everything that a human being needs to be saved and reconciled to God, he would do it in his flesh, in his earthly ministry. He would ascend on high. The Holy Spirit would come, and what's the Holy Spirit's role? To take everything that was purchased in Jesus and apply it to the world. Light and love, forgiveness, washing, all of that. The Holy Spirit will take it and apply it, and apply it through the proclamation of his gospel and those who just believe and come in. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I believe the sunrise of righteousness is... The the Messiah comes to purchase it all for us. The Holy Spirit comes and he works it out and applies it to hearts in the world. That is the sunrise of righteousness. Now, you and I, we get 2,000 years to look at this prophecy and see how it actually is fulfilled. A third of the earth called Jesus Lord. Nations are built, their entire laws and structures are built on the teachings of Jesus. All around the world. It has brought down oppressors. It has released the oppressed constantly for 2,000 years. Slowly but surely. The sun rises, is is raising. That is what we get to see. Zechariah probably never saw that happen in his lifetime. Question about this song. um, Is your heart a heart that would respond to John's message of repentance? That was John's ministry. That was prophesied of him. Would you respond to that? Do you see your deep need of cleansing? and washing or do you feel like somehow your level of devotion is what you're relying on for God to see and be favored toward you that's the hinge point of salvation humble yourself before the Lord look at the expanse of the gospel look at the glory of the gospel look at how this actually played out do you see it? glory in it Raise your smartphone with a flashlight or your lighter or whatever and sing it. That's what it's given for. Let this Christmas season be a time when you not just listen to someone sing, but you sing it. Glory in it. You know, there's there's a difference in hearing someone sing and then you singing it and you glorying in it. Right. What needs to happen for you to just not just listen? but for you to actually get in it and sing it and glorify it and receive all the benefits of that. Because that's what Christmas is all about. And that's what this series is all about. Amen? So let us do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. Lord, I thank you. I'm just looking at some imagery here that you visited us. If anyone could have stayed uh, on high, it's you. And yet you came to us. And Lord, may we, as a community of faith, go to each other. Love each other. Not just in word, but with action. Being present. Lord, let us see the glory of Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us the ability to fill our hearts with joy and rejoicing. And Lord, let us see what you're doing right now. And be a part of it. But this Christmas season, fill our hearts with hope, with power, with love, light. Meet us right where we are and minister to us. and Help us be light to others. Your light through us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Would you all stand up here this morning as we just kind of respond together? So the word of God has come to wash over us, right? Out of Luke here in the song of, of Zechariah. And so now our responsibility as God's people is to respond. Um, and this is what we see right when the Lord comes in and he's, and he's talking to these people. He's talking to Mary right last week or talking to Zechariah. They have a response. They respond before the Lord. And so I think the question for all of us is, is what is, what is the Lord doing in your own heart? What is, what is he maybe asking you to do in this time of response? And so I'm going to pray for us. And, and as I pray, I might be leading you in whatever. And that might be something. As I pray, you might, that's me. That's my category. That's what I need. Uh, maybe it'll be this other thing. And so uh, join with me, though, uh, in this prayer. As, as, again, as the word of God has has come upon us, now, um, now what is our reaction to that? Before we just, like, walk out of here and, and wash over all of this and, and get on with breakfast or lunch or, or whatever you're into next here. But... Uh, but let's just pause for a minute and, and have a moment here with the Lord. Father, um, we, just, we want to respond to, to these timeless words, these these songs of, uh, of your people and, and that they were here meant to draw us not to better knowledge of you, God, but to better following of you, <laughs> to a closer heart in and with you. And so God, for the heart in here that... That maybe we have like a, the Pharisees said, God, I'm good. I, I don't think I, I need you. I, I'm pretty good on my own. I think I think I'm covered. Lord, may that heart soften and see their great need for you. And so for the heart in here, God, that just needs to say, Lord, I have been hardened to you. Would you soften that to heart to the heart that has said, Lord, uh, man, I. I've gone so far the other way that there's no way that I could be made right. God, would you draw repentance out of that heart for the person here that might even doubt that this gospel and this grace is for them. Lord, draw them up out of that pit. See that you have come indeed to redeem all of man. And so God, do this in us in this time where we respond to you to say, Lord, work in me. Either bring me lower in the place that's appropriate from my high pride, or bring me up from my place of lowliness. Lord, these are the things you do. And in and through these songs, we worship you, we turn to you, we're thankful for you. So, God, now we go with your blessing and your peace. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. Would the Lord look upon you with his favor? And grant to you his everlasting peace. Amen. Amen. We'll see y'all next Sunday.